Yo, what's up guys? This is JB here and today is Saturday, the 10th of January 2008 and this is a Theory 11 roundtable discussion um, for tonight's Saturday Night Contest. This week has been particularly awesome, hectic, crazy, amazing in the life of Theory 11 uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, we Earlier this past week we announced the conclusion to the David Blaine Split Spade Image Award Contest. And just last night, very late, around, uh, let's see, what was it, midnight or so Vegas time, uh, or 11 o'clock or so Vegas time, we announced the winners in a podcast with David Blaine that I recorded with him right after he got off of a plane yesterday. We tried to record it earlier to get the results up by 11 p.m. Eastern time, but that did not work because apparently flight attendants don't allow you to use your phone uh, in the second before you're taking off. So that didn't work out. Our plan B was to record it when he landed, and that's what we did. And you can see the results and the winning submissions in the news section at Theory 11. Uh, you can also see it on David's site at davidblaine.com. So if you have not listened to the podcast from David yet, definitely check that out in the news section. And check out all the entries. There were some really amazing ones in there. Um, I know the winners was the winner was Scott, who had this cool dream sequence video. And then there was uh, the image that won. Uh, forgot his name, but it was this image of the the lion and the paw print. It was pretty pretty striking. Um, it came in pretty early on, and it was the image that I thought was pretty much the forefront forerunner um, from the beginning. But there was so many submissions that were amazing. So definitely check through that entire thread if you haven't yet, and see a lot of creativity in there. Anyways, what's going on this weekend is we've got a lot of people coming in town. Uh, uh, last night, I went to the airport and picked up a man who was sitting next to me, um, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I will give you a clue, and I might be talking like him from right now. He comes from London, <laughs> and his name is Daniel Matheson. Yeah, what's up? What's up? What is up? Why are you asking me? I'm asking you. <laughs> I thought you were saying generally, what is up? I'm good. I'm tired. Yeah, Madison uh, got in yesterday at what time? Um, I landed eight o'clock your time. Eight o'clock ish, and uh, met him at the airport. Um, and then thereafter, we were at uh, Chris Kenner's house, and we did not leave. Uh, we didn't finish filming some stuff until around four o'clock in the morning. At which time we went out to dinner at four a.m. Vegas time. That's seven a.m. Eastern time for those of you counting. And uh, we got chicken wings and whatever at uh, this place very close to where we live here in Vegas. And uh, we went to sleep around 5 a.m., which Madison, what time was that? I was awake for um, just under 40 hours. 40 hours awake, which is uh, relatively impressive. So we slept today, and uh, we went to go see Dave Williamson earlier today. He is filling in for Matt King this week. Today was his last day performing at Harris in uh, Vegas here. If you have not seen Dave Williamson perform, uh, definitely YouTube that. Definitely go to any performance you possibly can. He's an amazing close-up magician. got incredible original effects, but he's also one of the funniest performers I've ever seen live. And about Thursday was the first time that I was able to see him live after hearing much about it. So that was awesome, and Madison got to see him too. Um, every time I say Madison, I automatically switch to a British accent. <laughs> I think I have a disease. Um, anyways, so tonight we wanted to take a lot of questions from you guys. Over the past few hours, we've gotten a lot of submissions. I believe we've gotten over a billion pages. I've been counting. Uh, by billion, I mean that the way British people mean it, which is around 12. And... Um, we're going to go through a lot of these. We're going to get through as many questions as we can tonight, um, trying to get some more of the 
uh, deeper questions, something that's uh, more beneath the surface than how did you get started in flourishing or what's your favorite type of deck of cards or something like that. We wanted to dig deeper. Um, this is the first formal roundtable discussion we've done with Madison, at least in a while, if not ever. First one ever. First one ever because of the time change. It was too hard before. So um, we'll start with an easy question. We'll start with the question that was the first response to this forum thread. Um, and that's just saying, how did you get started in flourishing? Who are you inspired by? What was your early influences? And this is asked by Jake to the Izzo um, from Inland Empire, California. So he's talking about what, what were your influences? Who do you look up to? Who are your icons in, in, in cardistry or in magic or in anything? Um, in, the, in the beginning, I didn't really have any influences because I found out about flourishing through stories. So I had a friend who came back from a convention in America and he was telling me about these guys who, who were doing the crazy things with cards, multiple packet flourishing. Um, never heard anything like that before, never seen anything like that before. So I started practicing and, and trying to do it myself. So I kind of, I kind of started flourishing before I'd seen any. So um, influences came from stories. And then as I was learning, obviously I found out about you know, what kind of people did this. So I looked them up and I mean, the guys in question, it was the Book Twins. And um, when I first saw it, when I saw the first video, I think it was this, either the Spring Jam video or um, I can't remember what the other one was. Spring Jam, and then there was, uh, I think what their other early video was. They had, you know, the system obviously was out um, very soon around that time. They filmed Spring Jam, I think, with the system or around the same I know time. It was, it was um, Hit the Road DVD. I saw them on there, um, and I was amazed. I, I really was. Um, so it kind of inspired me to learn more. So I kind of I kind of got my main inspiration from Dan and Dave from the flourishing side. Um, I got a lot of inspiration as well from... I wouldn't say um, unknown people, but, but people who put up YouTube videos of their flourishes. Um, people are putting a lot of fresh stuff up that's, that's never been done before, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for what they do because everybody just thinks, oh, it's another YouTube video of some kid flourishing, but if you spend time and actually watch them, you get to see some, some new stuff, some interesting stuff, and you get new ideas for flourishes. Um, next question I'm looking at, which is, Relatively intriguing from card clip nine to eight, which is on page two, post numbers fifteen, um, and he's asking, "How is your past, or how is just your experience in magic, or just growing up, or learning um, in this art form, changed your outlook on magic and flourishing, as well as style? How did your experience kind of evolve your style, or was, or wh what was the evolution process? I think is what he's asking of your style and magic. Yeah, I think I think the style comes from. Um because I, I didn't get started in, in magic. I mean, I mean, my start came from wanting to, wanting to be a card cheat. So I didn't go into it as a magician. I went, I went into it wanting to learn sleight of hand, not for magical reasons, but for other reasons. So um, I didn't have any kind of, any magic, any magic in me whatsoever. It was just pure sleight of hand, just, just basic card stuff. Um, so the style came from, came from that, from that angle. I mean, when, when I first got saw, uh, seen doing magic. Somebody came up and says, wow, you do magic. And, and I was like, no, it's not magic. I'm just, you know, messing with cards. And it kind of clicked in my head what I was doing. Looks like magic. So I kind of just kept that style about me. It's just, it's just been natural from the, from the uh, beginning. I don't want it to look like, I don't want to look like a magician. Or I didn't want it to look like magic. I wanted it to look um, as natural as I could. And, because that's what makes it look realistic when it doesn't look like magic. And that's why um, you see some, you see um, 
what am I looking for? Successful people like Darren Brown, when he first came around, you didn't look, nobody looked at him and, and thought, wow, he's a good magician. They just saw what he was doing and they was amazed. They didn't label it, it was that good because he didn't have, he didn't call it magic, he didn't call it anything. So when people ask me, you know, about my card work, I never say, I'm a magician. I never said I was a magician. I think that, that works well for style, works well for creativity. Um, next question is kind of building on that. Um, last night when we were at Chris's house, very late, uh, John Lovick was there. If any of you guys on the West Coast know or anywhere, John Lovick, very accomplished magician, um, very accomplished creator. And uh, he was talking to Chris about the creation process and how to how Chris and how you know the whole Copperfield engine creates their magic or just how Chris thinks and how, he, how he's created over the years. And Chris was talking about using kind of a formulaic process, which sounds on the, on the surface fairly inorganic, um, of like, oh, it's just a formula. Why would he use a formula? That's, I know, I, I try to be pure. But no, everything's based on a formula. If you think of how you know, a, a song is written, obviously songs have beginnings, songs have middle, songs have ends, and every song is different. And there's a bazillion very original songwriters and singers out there that do amazingly creative things, but they, ha they share a structure, they share, they share similarities. So um, Chris was talking about his creation process last night. Um, this question is from CM763. It's posted on page three. And he says, what is your cre creative process like? Do you sit around purposely trying to come up with effects or do you get random little ideas during the day that you expand on later that you actually set aside time to do so? So he's, I guess he's saying, um, do you sit around like trying to come up with things or is it just a random occurrence or do you work backwards? How, what's your creative process in magic and in flourishing? I agree what, with what you were saying and I agree with what Chris was talking about last night. There's, there's definitely a formula. There's definitely a structure to it. Um, Sometimes you come up with them just, just on the spot. So you'll get an idea and it'll work. And it's great when that happens, but that doesn't happen a lot. Um, the way I do it, I, I think of the end first. I work backwards. So if you work backwards from a main idea, anything's possible because, because you can find a method uh, for it. Like if, if you were thinking of, um, without giving anything away, you know, like a card through window effect, you'd work backwards. So you start with a card behind the glass, and then you've, you kind of work backwards from there. So if you just get the idea from the beginning, if it takes a day, an hour, 10 minutes, two months to figure out the method, there's always a way. So that's the way I work. I, I get the idea first, and the method comes second. Right, and there are exceptions where you might just think of the idea and the method at the same time. Like, oh, there's a great way to do this. It just might come to you, but those are like, I guess, the moments of zen you know yeah, or the, something those like are that. those nice moments where you know it just it just pops in your head and, and there it is you know right um this question's jumping around this comes from joker um or j-o-k-3-r joke thrower joke three joke three um and uh he is asking this is post number 29 on page three um talking about hunger so he's asking what do you what have you gained from the stunt but i think you would contrast that um and say it wasn't a stunt, um, but what, what are your thoughts on that? What was the process like, and what was the conclusion? Um, the concute, I mean, there, there was, I, I did learn loads from it. I wanted to go a lot longer. In fact, I'd still be doing it now if I didn't, if I didn't mess up. And the way I messed up is I got a bit too cocky because it, it came too easy. I mean, week one was, was very easy, and it gave me a lot of confidence, and, and I felt like I could do it, I felt successful with it. Week two was pretty tough because my body was started to adjust 
seriously started to adjust to what I, what it was going through. And there was loads of effects. I started seeing things, couldn't sleep, um, you know, pains, body pains, joint pains. And third week was the easiest. And I, because it got so easy, I, I became cocky. And I felt like nothing could stop me. So I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna cut down even more, which was the mistake. I should have kept to the to the original plan. So um, that's where I went wrong. I had to stop. Um, I was pretty much ordered to stop. So I lasted 44 days. I would have still been over four months if I'd have stuck to the to the routine or, or the set plan. Um, the things that I've learned from it, the more they are more kind of personal things. Um, I didn't set out to, to kind of publicize it and let everybody know. Um, a few people says, you know, people deserve to kind of know what I'm up to if I'm going to be out, out of the light for four months. So I posted a little thread on, on uh, my website and it kind of blew up and I started telling people about it. And I think that was probably a mistake. I, I shouldn't have really told everybody because it, it affected the way I dealt with things. And it certainly affected the, the decision to... Um, to cut back, cut back even more food, because I had this this image in my head of what I'd look like at the end, and what people would expect me to look like as, at the end, as if that was some kind of proof. So the way I thought to, to to give that proof was to just cut back even more, and it wasn't about that. It was more like it was more about the mind, and I lost focus on that, and that was my mistake. Um, was there a point in time there where you were seeing crazy stuff, like like? I feel like it'd be funny if, if you like wrote something like one time, day day twelve. Today I woke up and I fought a lion with a saber. <laughs> it was a saber toothed tiger lion with a unicorn hoof. And then after I realized it was only a piece of bread. <laughs> I mean, yeah, certainly there were there were times like that. The the worst one was um, just after waking up. I walked downstairs and all of a sudden I was stood in a forest. And it was just bizarre because I knew, I knew which it. sounds crazy. But those of you who don't know, have never seen Madison's house. He actually lives in a treehouse, so I live it is in a, a forest house. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually outside. <laughs> he lives in a swing set. Um, <laughs> yes, it happens. Um, I live in the Shire of England. Exactly. But yeah, I, I, yeah, that was crazy because I knew I knew I wasn't in a forest, but I looked around, I could see trees. I, just, you know. I knew I was in a forest, but I'm going to be honest with you right now. There were trees there, and <laughs> there was definitely a squirrel that was talking to me. His name was Herbert, and he liked, uh, <laughs> he liked disco dancing, uh, Legos, and Jenga. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. Jenga. I'm just going to say. This next question is something that we see brought up a lot in our forums, and it is so just over-asked, and I feel like we drum the point in so often, but there's so many people out there that just don't fully, I don't think, understand the landscape of this art form, the, the, the terrain of this industry. Um, and the questions by Squirrel, or Squay, yay, R-R-E-L, <laughs> because it has an exclamation point. I, I said yay. It's post number 41 on page 5. He says, I see the term underground being thrown around a lot. I notice that you seem to use it quite frequently yourself. What does this term mean to you? Is it simply a marketing term, or is there some real meaning to it? Is it a genre of magic, or, or is it a way of looking at magic? I mean, I'd respond um, by people say like, oh, 311, underground magic in Carter Street Epicenter is what it says at the top of the page. That's just totally marketing hype. 
Is it marketing? Yeah, because that's how, you know, it's an, it's an aesthetic. It's a style that we cultivate on the site. Everything's dark, uh, you know, but, you know, we try to have fun at the same time. But it's more than that. It's not just marketing. It's not just some cheap ploy. There is an underground in magic. This is There's a totally different style. There's a totally different group of artists. There's a totally different outlook on performing, and it is separate. And there is a separation between the younger generation of ma magicians and the older generation of magicians. Um, we just talked about this last week <clears throat> in the um, Circa Trova post that was posted by Dan White in the Circa Trova forum this month. So if you have not seen that yet, definitely check that out. The discussion is still going on right now. It's only 10 days in. So definitely chime in. And the discussion was talking about this separation, this older generation of magicians and this younger generation of magicians. Not that one is better than the other. There's, there's a bazillion things that the older generation can and must learn from the younger generation. Things will evolve, and that evolution is going to come from the next generation. It's a fact. It's going to happen. Um, you can write that down. There's also things that the younger generation must, uh, must learn and can learn more than just techniques, more than just new tricks from the older generation of magicians about experience and performing and history and, and just so many layers of things that, that you can only learn from someone that's been around for this long. So, and I just think that there's the two sides um, must work together in order to have any type of advancement. There has to be some cohesion and there has to be a lot of respect. You can't have uh, older generations saying, oh, these young kids with their YouTube and their interwebs, that can't happen any more than the, the younger generation can say that these old guys don't get it and they've just been around too long. You can't have either of those. You have to respect the, the guys that have been around for a long time for what they've accomplished and what they know. And the older generation has to look towards this younger generation as people that are very passionate and, uh, and willing to learn and wanting to learn and the future of this art form. So what does underground mean? It's underground is this, this new generation of magicians. It is a, an aesthetic, yes. Um, it's a style, maybe. I mean, people have different styles within this. But more so than that, it's a way of thinking about magic. It's a, it's a totally different thing. We saw, as an example, Dave Williamson tonight, and he was talking about, you know, he, he, he had seen Theory 11, and he's definitely not of the, you know, our, our target demo usually of uh, magic, but he's a brilliant creator. He's a brilliant thinker. Um, he's got a lot that you guys out there, our members can learn from. We'd love to work with him. Um, and it's just bringing these two sides together of, of people that are traditionally in this new generation of magicians and this online you know, web generation and the older generation. There has to be a gap there. There has to be a bridge there. So that's what it means to me after my long rant right there. Um, but Madison, what, what do you think? What, what, is, what is the underground to you? Do you agree with what I said? What uh, yeah, I completely agree with what you, with what you said. Um, for me in the beginning, it, it, it was nothing to do with marketing. I just wanted to... Um, See, when I started learning magic, I, I learned from what I knew, and I, and I didn't know there was a magic industry. <clears throat> so I didn't know that I could go out there and learn from DVDs, books, etc. So I learned off of, like, TV, and the things I'd already learned through um, learning how, how you uh, use slide the pan for cheating. I just adapted that into magic. So the biggest influence on me in the beginning was um, David Blaine. So I saw what he was doing. I wanted to do that, so I thought I'm gonna go out and do it. <clears throat> and as I was learning, I discovered the magic industry. And it was a, a bad point for me that, it was really bad, because it left me sour. It's when I went into it, into the industry and started learning things and looking into magicians and I went to the magic circle, um, an audition there. And 
there was no respect for, for me or what I wanted to do with magic whatsoever. They, they were asking me where my top hat was, whether where the magic wand was, if I do anything with silks or bunny rabbits, etc. Spongebobs. Exactly, yeah. And Everyone I, needs I was, Spongebobs. I was quite insulted, you know, that they wouldn't accept that. I just wanted to go out with a deck of cards on the street, so show somebody some magic and, and the attention's on them, not me. I'm not going to go out wearing a cape because I'm not after attention. I'm doing it for, for the person, for their experience. Um, so the reason I used the term underground magic in the beginning was to separate myself from the industry as I learned it. But I mean, looking back on that, I think that was a mistake on my behalf because I was doing what we're now complaining about. We're complaining about them showing us out. It was me doing that to them. I was shutting out the industry instead of staying in there and, and trying to change it and trying to, um, trying to make them um, appreciate what I was doing. I, I was the one. It, it was my fault. I didn't stay there and do it. And I think that's that's one of the problems that gets overlooked, that that we do it. And I say we. I mean the people who who complain about traditional magicians. We're at fault as well because you know we don't we're not appreciating where where they're coming from. We're not listening to where they're coming from. Um, so yeah, underground magic, for me in the, in the beginning was just to separate myself. But but now I think it's grown into into a, a much bigger thing than what it was when it started out now it's like uh, people see it as a, as a great divide they see it as a completely separate art form to traditional magic and I think it's not the way to go really like, like JV just said um, we need to collaborate we need to bring both together because magic is, is one art at the end of the day you can't consider underground magic to be separate from traditional magic or any other kind of magic it's all one magic and it's how the audience see it but it is different. It's not. It is. It's definitely it's different. It's not a marketing. Yeah. It is a marketing thing. Yes. It, it. It. We market based on that is our style. We think theory eleven. We cultivate a certain style of magic, visual, fairly simple, not really complicated, and you know, pretty direct. I think we have a certain style of things that we look for, and we we try to push on theory eleven. But it's way more than that. There is a difference. And if you don't know, you know, oh, there's it, theory eleven's out there and everywhere. We're not out there and everywhere. There's a whole mountain of an industry that theory 11 lives on the corner of and we try to be a boutique and we try to have a certain set aesthetic that we go for and do things well and do things right and focus on quality and try to produce really really well instructional videos but at the same time there is something different and our our goal is to to bridge those and make this you know our style and and what we cultivate better this next question magic man 384 is kind of i think it's a good segue between the last question do you feel like magic is heading in the right direction um, do you feel like is, of what is going on now or what we're doing or what, what you're doing is, is heading towards a positive direction and, and why? Absolutely, yeah, definitely do. I mean, look at, look at the way magic is changing already. The amount, the amount of people that are interested in what Theory 11 are doing and artists um, at Theory 11 and people who feel the same way as we do about magic and, and have the same goals. If you... I've lost track of that question. He's asking about um, is, is magic headed in the right direction? What, what is what is being what are you optimistic about in magic or, or the magic industry or what we're doing or what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, if if you look at if you look at the people who are learning who are learning from Theory Eleven and people who are learning the new kind of the new angle, the new the new type of well, I'm saying new type. I'm, you're gonna edit this, right? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> ask me again. What were you saying? Um, yeah, the direction. I've completely lost track. 
I'll segue. So I'll, uh, okay. He's asking about if Magic is headed in the right direction. One one example that I, I like. Magic, I think, yes, is heading in the right direction. People are getting the idea they need to perform more. They need to be simpler. They need to evolve with the times. That's everything we push on Theory 11. I think it, we're making a, a dent in, in showing that. Guys like David Blaine and uh, everyone that's current in Magic is pushing that, uh, bridging it, making it more... Uh, open to pop culture and not wearing top hats and producing silks out of your uh, hand and other things. Um, in particular about magic instruction, what am I most encouraged by that we've done recently? Um, to be honest, it's, it's, it's having what I consider the honor of having guys like Jason England um, and Chris Kenner on our site. These are guys that are advocating the youth of magic by teaching us um, I, I bring myself included properly in about they know so much they know they've seen so much they, they these are the guys that knew Di Vernon or you know that uh, met best Jason England's best friends with Steve Forty you, you have to look at that opportunity to learn from these guys and treat it with the most respect it's it's worth its weight in gold and so being able to have these guys on the site um, is a total example of what we talked about about bridging the gaps of generations and having great instruction out there and yes we can make our videos cool and entertaining and we try to do all that but it all boils down to good instruction of good magic or good good technique and i think that's what i'm most encouraged that we've been doing recently more than more than ever yeah and i think when you talk about direction as well i think we need to realize that what we've already done what we have done and what we have achieved because i think we're already there i mean i certainly feel like i am i mean w when i first set out i'm, I'm kind of living now how I wanted to I achieve you know I've achieved what I wanted to achieve I think people who are learning magic and people are learning what we're putting out they should look around as well and and realize that this is it you know you live in it magic's always going to have a direction everybody's there's always going to be somebody asking you know where's magic going and, and you know what's the direction of magic but you have to appreciate what you already have and what you're doing now and and whereabouts you are because it's it's a good time for magic and it's only going to get better. So appreciate what you're doing. I think. I'm trying to uh, find a good cap off question because we do need to roll. We have uh, someone to go pick up at the airport. Um, you said that in English. I know I did. I did not mean to, and I was hoping <laughs> that no one noticed out there. Um, trying to think. I think that's a good note to end it on. Um, I think we covered some good topics tonight. I'm, I'm, we didn't cover as many uh, questions as we normally do in one of these roundtable discussions, but I feel like we covered some deeper topics, which was our intention, I think, to go over some things that were beneath the surface. Um, it, it was so deep that I lost track. I know. He couldn't even handle it. It was I, like... I almost fell off my chair. His head exploded twice while we were filming here. <laughs> I've actually... It's not even Madison anymore. He passed out about 20 minutes ago. It's been me just talking like this in a British accent and just saying what I think he'd believe. And I think he'd agree with that. Um, so anyway, um, that concludes this week's Saturday Night Roundtable discussion. Today is, again, the 10th of January, and we are off. Uh, we've got a busy week planned, lots of shooting, so stay tuned to the site, the media section, the forums over the coming week for some updates, some artist diaries, and some other cool stuff and news. Um, that's about it. Uh, great questions tonight, guys. Um, I really liked a lot of the topics that we, di we discussed. Uh, feel free to chime in with your own opinion of everything we talked about tonight. Uh, if you agree with us, if you disagree with us, uh, tell us why and keep this thread alive. Um, Madison, any final thoughts? Uh, no. Cheerio, lad. Cheerio. We're going to go get some crumpets and tea. <laughs> Hooray! That's it. Guys, talk to you soon. Later.